good morning. A scripture reading this morning is from Mark 10, verses 17 through 31. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these things since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. As this man, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be be least. Excuse me. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be greatest then. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Herman. Didn't he read that well? I thought he was going to be the pastor and just take over the sermon, but uh, thank you, Herman. Good morning. So good to be with you this morning. My name is Pastor Ken. (laughs) Since uh, all of the transitions have taken place here, I feel like I need to introduce myself. There are so many that have come uh, to TCC in these last couple of years, and uh, I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, but I'm so glad to be here this morning, and I'm glad that you're here this morning, and I'm glad that you're blessing this ministry, because it truly is an awesome ministry. Thanks always for praying for uh, Southwest. Uh, We love it when you pray for us. We're grateful to God for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. Wherever his people gather, whether it's here, over there, or any church in the city or around the world, wherever his people gather, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of them. 
So bless you today as you open your heart to his word. This is going to sound a little bit unbelievable, but uh, a Roman Catholic priest in France insists that this really happened to him. That late one night he was walking down a side street uh, in Paris when a man approached him with a gun and said, stick him up. And uh, when the priest had his hands up and then he needed to get his wallet, he went into his overcoat to get the wallet and the robber saw the clerical collar. Oh, Father, he said, uh, I'm sorry, I would never rob a priest. Forgive me. And uh, the priest was so greatly relieved that he took out a pack of cigarettes and he offered one to uh, one of the robbers, to the robber. No, uh, thank you, said the robber. I've, I've given them up for Lent. <laughs> Can you actually believe that that happened? It makes me laugh because it's such a contradiction of belief and practice. If your faith somehow doesn't compute with real life, what kind of faith is it? Now, we have a passage this morning that is really worth digging into, and Herman read it so well. And when you come right down to it, uh, it's a rather sad story. Because like the robber, some pieces are admirable, and some part of the story is just sad. Because it doesn't compute as we think it should compute. Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 17 to 27, maybe all the way through to 31, if we get there, is our passage. Uh, If you have a Bible or a smartphone, I just would invite you to lock into these verses for a few minutes this morning. Such a great passage. What's the situation? Well, let's start by meeting a young man. Uh, Matthew and Luke also comment on this young man. They put him in the category of young, rich, and powerful. I've met this guy many times through the years. He's a high achiever. He's an entrepreneur. He's a mover and a shaker. He's always full of dreams. A vision of future sparkles in his eyes. He sees the next step, maybe the next dollar, uh, and he uh, is full of dreams, and he always wants to go there. He wants to go to the next step. He's learned that you get what you want by running toward the goal at, at the head of the pack. I've met this guy, and she or he in this case is kind of enjoyable to be with. Uh, in the sense of conversations and strategic planning and up, unfolding of next steps in personal development and corporate development. Kind of contagious guy. Uh, he's a fun guy to be around uh, most of the time. Sometimes he can be a little bit self-consumed and he forgets where other people are at in their journey. But uh, And there are times when it's just all about him. But he's pretty aware, too, because he's come this far. He's pretty aware, and he will settle down. 
He'll settle down. But he's working on his life. And he's come a long ways. You should see his portfolio. He's young. And maybe he's a tad older than you actually think. But he certainly has the exuberance of youth. And as I said, he's made some good financial moves. He loves it. He loves to track his funds. He, he loves to investigate the next investment possibility. He's totally committed to the next thing. The next thing and the next thing. And it's so exciting. It just gets him going. And if you know in the passage just prior to this story, the disciples are, are getting after parents for allowing their children to come to Jesus. Remember that story? And Jesus teaches us this great lesson that we all have, have to come to Jesus one way. That we all have to come to Jesus helpless and dependent. That's how you come to Jesus. Like little children. Now we have a story that immediately follows. And it's like Jesus illustrates how challenging it is. How hard it is to, to come helpless and dependent. And then Jesus introduces us to this young, rich, and powerful man. So opposite to this helpless child. And because this is a guy, this appears to have it all together. I've met this guy before. He has uh, real smarts and talent. And he's not just intellectually astute. He's pretty morally sharp, too. Because Jesus lists the commandments. <clears throat> and this guy says, oh, all this I've kept since I was young. And to his credit, he's also reflective. I think as we grow older, we get a little more reflective. Is that happening to you these days? Getting a little more reflective. Uh, where should we put our emphasis? How much time do we have? What should be our goals? Where can we most effectively invest our time and energy? What am I missing? Am I missing something? What could we do differently? What could make it better? What could I tweak a little bit? Or how do I get more of it? David Gertz uh, wrote a book called Death by Suburb. Not Death by Chocolate, but Death by Suburb. And he confesses, and you have to get this picture in your mind. Nothing is quite as satisfying as idling in your vehicle next to another large child-moving vehicle big SUV, when my SUV is bigger than their SUV, no matter how much I have to pay for gas, nothing is quite as satisfying as being the bigger vehicle. <clears throat> I've heard that the big old Hummer is going to make its way back again. All of us here excluded, of course. That's the real world in which we live. Not just keeping up with the Joneses, but as someone said, being the Joneses. What's the issue? Well, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. What is the real issue here? 
Here's my best guess. When you hang around someone who is remarkably gifted or inspirational, you can't help but go home and say, my, did I enjoy my time tonight with that person. That guy was so amazing, wasn't he? I learned so much. My, is he gifted in that area. Whether it's artistic flair or brilliance or warm heart or contagious attitude. But just something about that person challenges me right down to my socks. And makes me want to be better. We get inspired. I want that too. That's what I think happened to this rich young man. And this powerful guy was impressed by Jesus because he's starting to hang around Jesus a little bit. And Jesus seems to have it all together. Maybe he has it together better than I have it together. He's really impressive. This, this Jesus is really impressive. And I have some things to learn from him. And uh, he talks about eternal life and all that stuff. And Well, maybe I should be thinking about that. John Maxwell says that if you want to learn from another leader, take a notepad and a pen and ask for a coffee and sit down and pepper the leader with questions so you, in fact, can get better at what you do. Learn from someone who's further down the road from you. This powerful young dude had his notepad out, and on his pad was scribbled, make sure you ask the guy this question. So he asked the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Was he being sincere? Uh, Yes, I think so. Definitely. Jesus challenged his choice of terms, good teacher. Why did he call him good? Is that just flattery? Probably. Complimentary? Probably. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Are you calling me good because you think I'm God? Do you really know who I am? But to answer your question, isn't Jesus awesome? I mean, he made him think about it. But be that as it may, we won't talk about that right now. Uh, We won't talk about my deity. Let's just talk about the definition of goodness. Have you kept these commandments? Have you committed adultery? No. Have you murdered anyone? No. Have you stolen anything? No. Have you ever borne false witness? Have you ever lied? No. Have you honored your father and your mother? Yes. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young, since my bar mitzvah. I've I've, I've kept all these commandments. They've been really up front in my radar. So what is the issue with this young man? What's the issue? Eternal life is just one more thing to be earned. Eternal life for this young man means achieving it by the same effort, the same style, the same assumptions by which he has brought the rest of the world to his doorstep. Everything else in life I've just made happen. I've worked hard. I've been strategic. I've found a way. And that's the way I would like to have eternal life. I just got to figure it out. So Jesus, what's the formula and I will put a check mark on eternal life, like all my other check marks. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's the issue of many religions of the world. 
What must I do? How can I achieve it? What is the pattern of good works that I must follow? How will I know if I'm good enough by what I do? And I know this guy. And sometimes my heart breaks for him because he has so much going for him. I met him last week on Wednesday. And I didn't know what to do when he said to me that he was ready to die. And he said, and I think I've lived pretty well. So I guess I'm ready. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. What must I do? Just give me the formula for what I have to do and I'll do that because I'm good at what I do. I'm good at keeping my promises. I'm good at making it happen. So just tell me what I have to do for me to be okay. And that's the struggle of the man I know. And that is the crux of the struggle of all the man-made religions of the world. It's about what I can do. And the answer is, it's already done. That Jesus Christ did it on the cross. It's done. I've been working on this scripture verse this week to memorize it. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. What's the challenge? Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I love this part. He felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told them. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. I'm not a backpacker. <laughs> I, I know people who are. Uh, and you know, you can do traditional backpacking where you hike in with 30 pounds, 40 pounds maybe 50 pounds uh, on your back, and you carry it all in, that's a lot of weight to carry. You carry it all in and you carry it all out. Advantage is you have everything with you. Disadvantage is you move slowly. You have less flexibility. And the load can injure you. It can certainly tire you out. The other way to backpack is ultralight. You eliminate all the non-essentials. Backpack weighs 10 pounds or less. You can't take your coffee maker with you. Light and slim is the slogan. Now this young man was a traditional backpacker. He had it all in his backpack. He was intentional about having it all. Because it all reflected on what he was achieving. Ah, put it back there. Put it back there. And he just kept tucking it in his backpack. He's trying to take as much with him as he possibly can. And Jesus looked at him and said, Oh, and this is so good to observe. Looking at the man, Jesus felt ah, genuine love for him. It's a rather tender moment in the story. But it tells you the heart of Jesus for all of us. When Jesus gives this man his full attention, Peter undoubtedly told Mark about Jesus' loving eye contact with this young man. Jesus loved him. He spoke in 
soft, warm, embracing terms, inviting him to make this tough decision. What was he going to do? There, there is still one thing you haven't done. So what's the challenge? Jesus saw his backpack, traditional backpacking. Load up as much as you possibly can carry, carry it with you. Because you don't need anybody else when your backpack is full. And you are self-contained. This guy didn't understand that he was carrying a lot of baggage in his life. And Jesus simply looked at him and maybe even hugged him. Maybe even embraced him. And Jesus looks at us and he loves us. I, I, I want you to see that gaze this morning. He looks at us and he loves us. And he embraces us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, he looks at us with that loving look that says, you have a great future. You have a great future. But drop the baggage. Drop all the non-essentials and follow me. Don't trust your backpack and all that you've got in it. Jesus saw the backpack and he knew what his challenge was. And he looked at him as if to say, here's your challenge. It's your riches. It's your self-sufficiency. Now, you may, may recall that Jesus did not ask Matthew. Remember, he was the rich tax collector to give up everything he had. And he didn't ask Zacchaeus, who was also rich, to give up his possessions. But yet he tells this young man to give everything away. Why? Because he was depending on it. It was too much baggage and was killing him. Sell it all and give to the poor. Mother Teresa said that at the end of our lives, we won't be judged by how many diplomas we have or by how much money we have made or by how many great things we have accomplished. She reminds us that we will instead be judged by these words. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That's the question at the end of the line. What's the challenge? The challenge is our own righteousness. For us, it just gets tweaked differently. I never miss a church service. Well, I can't because I'm supposed to be here. They pay me to be here, but I'm talking about you now. I never miss a church service. I tithe faithfully. I volunteer for everything. I never cheat on my taxes. I'm a good person. And we all agree. Those are great qualities. We would hire a person like that. We've got a job for you. But Jesus looked at him with such a wonderful love. He didn't even challenge the young man's standard of goodness. And he graciously gave him a pass on his self-righteousness. He could have gone right at him, but he didn't. And Jesus could address those issues in our lives as well. He could pin us on so many things, but he, he doesn't. He doesn't. He says, oh, you'll grow into this. You'll grow into this. And in those areas where our pride buttons pop out a little bit, 
God gives us grace and he loves us and he teaches us. He says you'll, you'll learn one day that it's your pride that keeps you from really being used by me. That if you, you would just humble your heart, I've got so many assignments for you. I would use you here, here and all over the place, but I'm working on the pride issue in your life. And so it's the journey of discipleship. It's the journey of character formation. It's learning how to walk in, in this world with humility. And God is so gracious, he just keeps chipping away at our pride and he tries to show us how much more he could use us if, if we just let this pride thing go. The challenge was his wealth. Get rid of your wealth and come and follow me. Come and be a disciple. Oh, what a challenge. He couldn't do it. And it says, at this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. The word sad means having a gloomy or dark appearance. It's kind of the picture of a sky that gets dark and gloomy as it's about to rain or a storm is brewing. And, and he, he, his face fell and he went away just stormy in his heart and mind. Jesus didn't allow him to pad his moral resume but he asked one thing that for him would indicate genuine saving faith. And it would mean a complete overall of his theology. To give away all of his possessions and to become poor would, would admit, require that he admit the worthlessness of all the things that he had tried to achieve. He could never admit that. So he went away and he was sad. It's kind of like what Paul said in Ephesians 2.9, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. C.S. Lewis wrote, when our tooth is hurting, we go to the dentist. We just want relief from the pain, but the dentist has a different agenda. The dentist wants to set all of our teeth right. We just, no, we came in for this one. No, he wants to set them all right. In the same way, Lewis said, our Lord is like a dentist. That dozens of people go to him to be cured of one particular sin which they are ashamed of or which is obviously spoiling daily life. Well, he will cure it all right, but he will not stop there. That may be all you ask, but if once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. He'll give you the full treatment. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But we always have a choice. We can choose to go away or we can choose to follow Jesus. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And the Greek word follow is the word for stick. Stick like Velcro, stick like glue, stick like some adhesive material. Jesus is saying, I want you to stick with me. No matter what happens, you may think everything's falling apart, but I'm promising you this, following me will be fabulous. I'll take care of you. Just come and stick with me. What shall we do? Can we picture Jesus as he watches this young, aspiring, young professional turn around and leave? I see Jesus say, I told you. I told you this was hard. I told you that this would not be easy. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. Not with God. Everything is possible with God. There was a real sense in the time in which the gospel was written that if you were rich, you were considered favored by God. The rich were blessed by God. Because, because you were rich, it was because the favor of God was upon you. And now the Lord inverts this theology and he flips it around and he emphasizes, actually it is so difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom because it is hard for the wealthy to receive the grace that God extends to all humanity. It's hard to be that little child and be helpless and dependent. It's so hard when I want to say, well, look who I am. Look what I've done. Look how I've lived. It's hard for the wealthy. It's hard for the self-sufficient if you look at it. But listen, the wealth index chances are that all of us are in the upper echelon of richness. So it's hard for all of us. So it's hard for the people of Canada, despite our economy. We are rich, comparatively speaking. We often hear someone say, well, I'm not very religious, but I'm a good person. And that's what's important. But is that true? Imagine a woman, a poor widow with an only son. She teaches him how she wants him to live. She said, you always have to tell the truth. You have to always work hard. You have to be with the poor and you have to help them. And she makes very little money. But with her meager savings, she's able to put him through college. Imagine that when he graduates, he hardly even speaks to her again. He occasionally sends her a Christmas card, but he doesn't visit her. He won't even answer her telephone calls or her letters. He doesn't speak to her, but he lives just like she taught him. Honestly, industriously, charitably. Would you say that this was acceptable? Of course not, you would say that's not acceptable. Wouldn't we say by living a good life, but not neglecting, but neglecting a relationship with the one to whom he owed everything, was doing something commendable? Not so. In the same way, God created us. We owe him everything. And we do not live for him, but we live a good life. It is not enough. We owe a debt that must be paid. Mark writes, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, I remember reading years ago that in the temple place, there was a, there was a place where camels were brought in and they had to bow low to get into the barn and it was called the eye of the needle. But now as I look at it, Years later, I think mostly this is just a saying. And it's a little humorous because uh, if it's a real needle and it's a real eye of the needle, it's just impossible to squeeze a camel through the little eye of a needle. It's funny. It's a way of saying, that's the point. That's the meaning. Probably just a way of saying, this is crazy impossible. Not a chance. With man, it's just impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Everything is possible. Getting right and staying right with God. Trusting Christ with your whole life. It isn't just hard. It's impossible. Yeah, You can be as rich 
and as decent and as successful and as busy as you want and you won't score enough points to get right with God. Because that's impossible. But not so with God. And that's where God comes in. He can change us. He can transform us. He can save us. And through His Holy Spirit, He will keep and guide us every day. That's why prayer is so important for our own lives. That's why it's so important to be praying for other people who are in our sphere of influence. He can give us strength when we have no strength. He can give us perspective when we're so badly out of alignment. And we don't know all the ways that the Holy Spirit works. He's faithfully at work changing hearts, our hearts. And in the end, we'll only be able to say, only God, only God could have done that. When we pray for those who have not yet trusted Christ, we don't know how the Holy Spirit is working, but we trust Him. And we see in time the work that He's doing, and in the end, it will be worth it all. Jesus says, it will be all good, it will be good when you stick with Him. And verse 29 says, I assure you that when everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. So he says it's worth it all. Stick with Jesus. And when we give everything to Jesus, it's all his. And it'll be worth it all, no matter what. The, the, there will be physical blessings, not the prosperity gospel, but the blessing of God in our lives. There will be peace in our hearts. There will be the joy of eternal life. So stick with Jesus. Humbly say, Lord, I need you. I need you. And I come as a child. So what's the situation? What's the issue? What's the challenge? What shall we do? Say yes to Jesus in your heart. and Be willing to be obedient to him, whatever he says. Let's bow our heads for the next 30 seconds. And while we do, let me ask you two questions. Are you ready? Number one, do you see yourself in this rich young man? Do you have something in your life that is really, really, really hard to surrender? And you keep walking away knowing it could be different and you are sad. Do you see something of yourself in this rich young man? Second question is this. If you knew God could meet you in your journey, if you just said yes to him on all fronts, would you be willing to say yes? He will meet you and he will strengthen you. He will help you with this issue. If you knew God would meet you in your journey, would you say yes to him? Now, will you tell the Lord... You will. You will. And as a statement to the Lord that you're willing, just slip up your hand and take it down again. 
as a confirmation to the Lord that you're going to say yes, not no. Slip up your hand and take it down again. Yes. So, Father, you see our hearts. You know the battle that rages. You spoke so clearly to this rich young man, and you knew he would have an awful struggle with it. And with all of us, this is impossible. But not with you, Father. You love us so much that your Holy Spirit goes to work on your behalf And he lovingly and graciously and gently reminds us that you love us and that you desire everything like the dentist who set to work on not just one area, but every area. And so today, we give you every area of our lives that you might reign supreme. Thank you for your gaze of love upon us today.